0: I want to welcome you today to our third installment of Jonah. How many of you enjoying Jonah? How many Jonas are in the house? How many love the God of second chance? Third chances and fourth chances. Don't push the grace. Don't push the grace. And today we're going to go through chapter three and pick up where Jonah started in chapter one. If you want to know about the rest of the series, you can go online to gracepoint.com and hit our media section there, and the whole installment of Jonah's there. Today, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through uh, 10. And we're going to see a couple things. But today's message is called The God of the Second Chance. How many love second chances? How many feel they need a second chance right now? So we're going to get encouraged you with this today. It said, Then the word of the Lord came. To Jonah the second time, saying, "Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, It's message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, a great, was an exciting, great city, three-day journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going to a day's journey, he called out, "Great message. Yet, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh believed God, Circle that. They called for a fast and put sackcloth on, put sackcloth on the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. Now, when you think about sackcloth in those days, it was camel hair. So he was itching at the same time. And he sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let, let man, um, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from violence that's in his hand. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that they, we may not perish, perish. When God saw what they did, circle that, how they turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You're seeing here in this story, God gave Jonah a second chance after he blew the first chance. One thing I like about this, this part of scripture, when God called him to start over again, he didn't remind him of how he failed on chapter one. Sometimes we think when we do things, God's going to call into and remember what we've done wrong before he reinstitutes us to do something else. One thing when you read this, you'll see that God is very insistent on getting his will accomplished through us. And we can't mess it up. You can just stay in the orbit until you say yes. But he's going to get his will, especially if he told you what to do. He's going to get it across. So I love to God a second chance. One of the greatest things he gave, God gave Jonah a second chance. So Jonah can help others receive a second chance. Sound like a Christian. How many people knew after you gave your life to Jesus, that was your second chance? Your new rebirth and your second chance. And God calls us to help others receive the second chance. Very encouraged this week. Uh, last week, I preached in the youth and. We talked about John chapter 4 and the harvest. Got excited. We went over the God test. And I challenged them. I said, go this week to your school and do the God test. And I didn't expect what I heard the next week. Our students, our high school students went on campus with the God test. And asked those questions. And I loved the answers. But the greatest thing is, they stepped out and did it because they had a heart for other people. And I said, you know, we're blessed. Our heart should be able to bless others. And I said, we're going to do it again next week, and we're going to do it again the next week. And then I watched our college students this week go all the way to Oklahoma, O'Kee. Okay. drive down Thursday morning, do God tests all day, do a little session at night, get in the car and drive all the way to Texas Tech, do a session there, All night, drive back here on Saturday morning, sometime 3 in the morning. I'm glad y'all young. (laughs) And then we had the party at Alan and Lindsay's house. They all looked like this. What did that? They realized they all were given a second chance. They want to help others give a second chance. See, on your worst day, guys, (laughs) on your worst day, you were given a second chance. And you don't have to feel like it. It's just true if you gave Jesus, made Jesus your Lord and saved your life. He's the God of second chance. And he gave Jonah a second chance. And some of you are sitting in here thinking you blew it beyond measure. Now, all you got to do is listen for God. He's the God of second. If you don't hear him the second time, he's the God of third. If he didn't, I, I believe that he didn't get this we would have had six chapters of Jonah (laughs) because of God's grace. God is is the God's second chance because he's three things I want to pull out of this this passage. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. And most of all, I love it. God is gracious. Can I get an amen? Amen. First one, in verses 1 and 2, you see, where God is long-suffering. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against his message, I tell you. So Jonah went up and left. One of the greatest things in long-suffering, God did not repeat or remind him of where he failed. He didn't remind him. The word long-suffering is kind of interesting when you look it up in the Greek. It's like two words meaning long, and the word suffering means temper. So long-tempered, which means to be long-suffering, means to have self-restraint when one is stirred to anger. I wish my parents said that. (laughs) Self-restraint, how God feels. But he has self-restraint. He's long-suffering that we may get it. It takes a long time, some time for us. But he has grace for that. Long time. I love it. reminds me of a passage in Exodus 34, 6. It says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. How many love this part? Slow to anger. I'm so glad Moses wasn't, but God is. And abounding in steadfast love and what? Faithfulness. Slow to anger. He knows whatever he starts with us. He's going to get it completed. He knows it takes us a while. He doesn't cut us off too quickly like we do people. He's working if you let him work in you. But he's going to get his will so my grandmother said, you know, son, it's just too hard to fight with God. Just release it. But he's long-suffering. Slow-tempered. Slow to anger. That's why it took from Genesis to Matthew for Jesus all those years that God had a plan to redeem man. He could have did it in Genesis 3.17. The minute he announced it in 3.15, but he had to wait thousands of years to set things in motion. And how much he loved Nineveh, how much he loved Jonah, and Jonah was the only one that he chose who can bring this message to pass. You know, you're the only one sometime that only can do what God has called you to do. When you back out, it just won't get done. But if you engage it, it's going to get done. That burden you have, it's from God. If it's for other people, you better believe it's from God. Sometimes, I don't think I can do it. Whatever he has you to do, he'll he'll give you the equipment and the grace to do it. Reason why he's long-suffering, because God's always looking for an opportunity to show mercy and compassion to us. God is always looking for an opportunity to show his mercy and his compassion toward us. Which takes me to the second point. God is merciful. How many know God is merciful? Yes. Now you got to look at the city of Nineveh. City walls were about 100 feet high. About 128 feet wide. That you can put three chariots across. And they had apartments in the walls. Some of the army would stay inside the walls. That's how much it was, it was, it was fortified. And the circumference of the city and the suburbs was approximately 60 miles in population. And the population, 60 miles in circumference. Now, about approximately 600,000 people lived there. Nineveh was the largest city in the world prior to its destruction, or when it was rendered unusable in 612 BC by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the only one that rivaled in size was Babylon. And they would compete in how they expanded the cities. Interesting thing is Babylon is modern day Iraq. The Babylonians are the modern day Iraq. The Persians are the modern day Iran. Now Mosul, I mean, uh, and I'm sorry, Nineveh in modern day its location is in Mosul, Iraq. Now, this is historic. I love when God's history from thousands of years come to us today. Don't discount this Bible. God knows how to connect the dots. Interesting thing here. ISIS, in February 2015, decided to blow up the remaining walls of Nineveh. And some of our troops had to drop bombs to stop ISIS in the middle of Nineveh. I love when God's history gets continued going on. The book you have here is Ageless. And in modern day northern Iraq, the battle is still going on. I always wonder, if God called you to preach to ISIS, would you preach to him? Because I can tell you, this has been going on for so many years. Whoever had biggest weapons. I watched something on TV the other day. Just really kind of, this makes it work. I see what's going on here. As you destroy the parents, they got children in school learning to hate. I imagine if, if Nineveh stayed humble and stayed under the eyes of God, would we have the trouble we have now? Let you think in a little bit. I love the Bible. It says nothing new is under the sun. Wherever there's no peace, there'll be wars. There was a time of peace that we're talking about here. God is merciful. Interesting thing, he sent, his, he sent Jonah Gave them, and this is a message, a couple words. Basically, he said this in verses uh, 3 through 5. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city on going a day's journey. He called out, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, What? believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to them to the least of them. One of the things you see here, that Jonah just said a few words, and repentance came, a revival started. Now, some of the writers said, since Jonah was in the well and the fish for so many days, he was a little bleached because the enzymes turned his skin a little white. So they probably were saying, oh, that guy looks weird. I better believe what he says. He have not had lotion in a while. If you're an African-American, you know what I mean. If you don't have lotion for a while, it's what we call ash. That's later on in the, in the scripture. See, but black people, you don't have to worry to put ash on you. Just don't put no lotion on for five days. Ash will just fall all over you. All right, back to where I was. <laughs> I need my wife here. they believe God somehow that word belief has gotten weakened that we kind of believe a theory but for them belief is action because you act on what you truly believe in it's great to have a great voice and say I believe in that but if your actions do and I know what young people today they should show me the action if your belief doesn't line, your action doesn't align with your belief. People just call you a hypocrite. Now, you can quote scripture all day about going somewhere, but if you're not going anywhere, you're a good scholar, but you're not doing anything. It's amazing how you look at that. And it showed that what they were doing, they believed God. But God's always looking for an opportunity to show mercy and compassion to this city. And he's always trying to do that to us. Isaiah 30, 18 says this. It's a great scripture. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to, uh, to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show what? Mercy to you. He exalts himself to show mercy. Jesus got exalted to show mercy. He took out punishment. He took out shame. He took it all, and now he can hand out mercy and grace to us. That's, I'll tell you, that's shouting language right there. And for the Lord is a God of what? Justice. Blessed are all those who what? Wait on him. Wait for him. Because he's always looking to dispense mercy and grace and compassion to us. We don't serve a God that wants to kill you. We have a God that wants to save you. And then he wants to equip you and empower you. Now, this is a time that you'll be enabled. But his ultimate goal is for him to empower you so you can help others become enabled, and equipped, and empowered. That's fun. The God you serve, someone sitting here today thinking God hates you, no. God's merciful. He's always looking, but you always got to be able to hear. You got to hear. Even if you make the wrong choice, He's merciful. He already knows that you know, that you did it wrong. But he doesn't come up and say, okay, the scripture says, Richard, you fell off this. So you get right. Then we'll read this blessing over you. No, he just goes right into the blessing like it never happened. I don't think he, I mean, chapter three has nothing about when when, uh, Jonah took off in his boat. I think the only ones that remember Jonah is the sailors. That guy floats doesn't float too well. (laughs) Cause here's the thing, and we get this so messed up. Not only is he long suffering, and he's merciful. Man, I tell you what, the grace is over the chain. God is gracious. Let's look at six through ten verses. The word reached the king in Nineveh, and he arose from the throne and removed his robe. It's interesting, he removed his robe. He used to wear a purple robe in honor and glory when you came up to the king. He was up on the throne. He was splendid. You, you couldn't dress better than him. He went, looked like he went to men's warehouse. And he removed it and put on camel hair. The king humbling himself. But before the king did, the whole population did. He then started, the people did. It's amazing of their belief and what they truly believed. And removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Seven. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. This has been my prayer. United States, let's just humble ourselves. And then let's publish and proclaim the, the glory of God. The peace of God. The all of God. Let us all repent so we're all safe. Wow. If when a nation is revived and the president gets it, the senators get it, everyone gets it. I'm telling you what, there will be peace in the land. I don't need to drop another bomb. All I got to do is drop a prayer. And the greatest bomb against ISIS and any enemy in the world is prayer. You can't hide from prayer. It doesn't miss my commercial. <laughs> By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast <laughs> nor flock taste anything. Starve the animals. These guys believe God. Let them not feed or drink water, but let a man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. They had a lot of gods, but they sure enough recognized the God of gods. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. This is good. Who knows God may turn, and this is, this is, I got to finish. Who God may turn and relent and turn from the fierce anger so they may not perish. We, that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not. Do it. You're talking about extending grace. Now, the king knew. When he did took off the the sackcloth, really symbolized sorrow and repentance. True repentance. True sorrow of my crimes. And sitting in ashes was a sign of helplessness and despair. The king is sitting, I'm helpless against this God. You're talking about a posture of humility from this guy, from the throne into the ash. And they didn't just humble themselves and repent, not just in word, I repent. No, they did it in demonstration, in deed, especially when he did it. When the king does it, and see guys, we serve a king, name is Jesus When he does it, we should do it. He was humble. He didn't come in with the world. He could have just wiped out all of us. But he had a plan. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's gracious. Now, these people knew they were wicked. They knew they were wicked. See, people know. they. I didn't, know, I, I, I didn't mean what I was doing. Yes, you did. You know you're wicked. You know it, doesn't mess, it messes with you. These guys, I told you from the very beginning, they were the worst murderers in the planet. They would kill people, cut their heads off, and stack them up at the gate. Take, and take that and fillet people. After you kill them, fillet them, take the skin off, and throw them on top of their heads. They kill children because they said they deemed them worthless. They're worthless children. Kill them. We don't need them. Burn people alive. And you're saying, you mean you, God extends grace to them? <laughs> Guess what? That's the God we serve. Yes. So don't sit there in self pity. I haven't seen you fillet anybody. <laughs> I haven't seen you cut no one's head off, maybe visually, but not. God's gracious, and then that number, verse nine, they did this without a guarantee. They said, "Perhaps God will relent. <laughs> Who knows? Who not? Who knows?" What they did, they depended solely, slow, uh, solely on the mercy and grace of God. I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but we're going to do this for forty days. I have no guarantees. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have a guarantee. Yeah. Perhaps God will. Maybe He will turn. We don't know. But we know what we need to do. And they depended solely on God's grace and mercy. Sometimes you gotta do that. A lot of times you gotta do that. And so and God sought a response, and that's when God extended the grace. See re- True repentance and sorrow, not because you got caught, you'll receive the grace. If not, I learn if I don't truly repent and I don't truly have sorrow, has nothing to do, really has nothing to do with what God does, my conscience does not let me go. I feel miserable because I know I didn't do it properly even when I used to tell my mother I am not going to do it anymore she already knew she's prophetic and she didn't mean she made me pathetic cuz she beat no she didn't beat me it's amazing they had no guarantee we have a guarantee long suffering merciful and gracious Second Peter 3 9 explains this see the law is not slow to fulfill its promise as some count slowness but it's patient toward you not wishing that you should perish but that all should reach repentance See, God doesn't, you might think I deserve to perish, but God don't think you need to perish. He's waiting for you to wait on him. Let me tell you how God is. As a young knucklehead, now some of you weren't born yet, you were not even thought about. In 1978, this New York, crazy New York kid decides to go into the military. But he forgot to take the New York out 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 of the military. I came in with a New York attitude. I got through basic training, did well. Got to my first duty assignment. I said, well, I'm free now. I got the first time I had money in my pocket. Because that was my last chance in society. So I decided, hey, whatever I did in New York, I can do in the military. So I didn't take long at all that I found out that there was rules that I was supposed to follow. And I kind of ignored them. Then they gave me what they call a letter of reprimand. I said, okay, that's fine. I'll get better. I'll make sure I don't get caught anymore. Then I decided, well, I'll do some little drugs. Then I learned something. Their rules were very stringent because when you did that, they took your money. And that's the first time I've ever received a $15 check for three months because That's what they call non-traditional punishment. I said, why don't you spank me? Don't take my money. (laughs) And then my commander had a meeting with the wing commander. He said, do you see this kid's name? He's all over my screen. I want him out now. Kick him out. Get rid of this guy. He is a mess. It's like when the courtroom, when the devil is accusing, and Jesus said, no, I got it. I already took it. My commander said this. Colonel Sapp, he's, dead, he's passed away. He said, uh, boss, it's on me. I see something in this kid. I'll cover everything he's done wrong. And then he took me in his office. He said, I just covered you, but there's so much potential in you I can't afford to let you go because you will lose everything that you came in here for. So what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to give you a TV set and you're going to sit in the room and do your homework and then you'll walk for the next 60 days. The devil will bring you in this place and accuse you to the uttermost. Look what you did last night. Hey, look what you did an hour ago. Look at all that they're losers. And Jesus said, no, they're mine. I see something in them. I will take and I already took all the shame. I took all the blame. I took all the sin. I'm long suffering to get them right. Mercy. They need mercy. And they definitely need grace to be equipped to do great things. That's how God we serve. Everyone stand. When my commander came in and told me how much he set before me and took and put his career on the line for me, do you know what I did? In a secular term, I repented. I said, said, man, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to let you down. He said, "I'm not what you. I want you to work hard. I just want you to be an Air Force citizen. It's not about me. It's about you bec- I'm setting you free to become an Air Force citizen. I'm setting you free to be the best Christian I had called you to be. Some of you walked in here. You might have done what the devil says you did, but you're not who the devil says you are. You're God's children. As we worship, you come up, you worship. Don't walk around with this stuff. Know that you have a God's long suffering. Stop blaming yourself. He's not blaming you anymore. He didn't tell Jonah what was going on. And the thing you know, he's merciful. But I love his mercy. He's not, apart from justice. This so was great about it. And he's gracious. He knows exactly where you are. Can we worship God? Respond. You can come to the front. You can sit in your chair. Let's respond in worship. Can we do that? Let's pray. Everyone just close your eyes. And this is your time with God. I'm not calling anybody out. I told the, 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 the minister, I told the, the team today for um, Baja, I said, sometimes we think faith is being faithful in God, but we kind of forget that is also believing in the faithfulness of God. He's faithful, and he wants us to rest in his faithfulness. Some of you have been working too hard, and you've not been relying on his faithfulness. You're expecting things that didn't take place yet. Receive his faithfulness. Receive his grace. Receive his mercy. Be at peace. Let's worship.